Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam and with me as always is my buddy Jude. How are you Jude? Doing well, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. So Sam, how's the holiday shopping season going for you? Uh, any <laughs> expensive acquisitions so far and any travel plans? Uh, n- well, yeah, nothing too expensive. So I purchased a couple of gifts because we were going to do some Kris Kringle. So we did the one for work, obviously. And um, I'm about to actually head um, out to another Kris Kringle gathering so yeah i've got another gift for that um and then just with travel yeah so obviously we've been now a little bit unlucky with covid so there's been a bit of an outbreak in sydney and my brother that lives there he was planning to come over to melbourne during christmas but um i think that's going to get postponed now Mm. and i'm also planning to go to sydney just after the new year but it's kind of a watch and see situation now so hopefully they get this cluster under control and um yeah things you know end up being a little bit better and i can still go but you never know uh so it's it's kind of just a a um watch and see at the moment yeah i think we better you know better wait and see how the situation plays out in sydney right because mm. uh, it's unfortunate right just before christmas and a lot of families wanted to meet each other right at this this particular period but then hey it's just unfortunate what has happened but yeah, uh, just absolutely. it's always to be you know better to be safe rather than you know sorry so it mm-hmm. makes more sense to take all the precautions yeah that's um, right that's right and uh, your holiday plans buddy uh yeah i'm planning to head out to uh, sale in gippsland uh mm-hmm. you know with a couple of mates uh, i think cool. we put together a decent itinerary for four to five days and nice. it's a mix like uh, in terms of activities and relaxations and all that stuff uh, but really looking forward to it right especially with the year we've had yeah absolutely <laughs> glad that it's coming to the end and uh looking forward to a positive 2021 all righty So let's get into today's topic for today, which is portfolio construction and what investors should consider when constructing a portfolio. Yeah, it's it's definitely an important topic, right? Because um, it's putting together all that you've learned about different asset classes into a plan. Um, And you'll really find some good content on this topic on you know YouTube channels, right? And but there was one particular video and uh, an analogy which I really like was by Chris Breike, the founder and CEO of a stock spot, uh, where he puts together in one of his seminars where he says it, he likens portfolio creation with creating a great meal. Uh, you need to have, select the right ingredients. You combine those ingredients and you need to cook it at the right temperature. Right. And obviously selecting right ingredients is, you know, analyzing and understanding different asset classes, how they how well they combine with each other. And when you say cooking it at the right temperatures is once you allocate those particular percentages, ensuring that they, they you know, they more or less, more or less align with that percentage uh, throughout uh, the investing cycle. So mm. I really like that analogy. It was simple and just easy to understand. 
Yeah, I also had a listen to that particular seminar, and I think it was the 2019 ASX uh, seminar. So for all the listeners out there, they can search for that on YouTube and and have a look. So that's um, highly recommended. So before we go down to the nuts and bolts of portfolio construction, let's talk about a commonly used portfolio construction strategy, uh, which is modern portfolio strategy or MPT in short. So MPT, it was put forward by Dr. Harry Markowitz in the Journal of Finance in 1952 called Portfolio Selection. And it was further developed by others as well, including Dr. William Sharp and Dr. Merton Miller. So the three of them were actually awarded the Nobel Prize in Financial Economics in 1990. All right, so that's a little bit of history. So what is it exactly? So Investopedia defines it as a theory on how risk adverse investors can construct portfolios to maximize expected returns based on a given level of market risk. So the aim is to have maximum returns and minimum risk, which I think is what most investors would want. Yep. So a very interesting aspect of uh, MPT is the aspect of correlation. So let's consider two stocks, uh, two very similar stocks um, that have a positive correlation. So let's look at Commonwealth Bank and ANZ. So they're two bank stocks, both uh, in the Australian market, Um, but basically they will move in line with each other. So unless something is happening specifically to one company, right, both stocks are gonna move in the same direction at any given time. In contrast, two assets that have negative correlation will move opposite, will move in opposite directions to each other. So one example of that would be stocks and bonds. So historically speaking, when stocks go up, bond goes down uh, and vice versa. Yep. So why is this important? Because it allows us to influence risks. So one of the key findings out of MPT is that the total risk of A and B does not equal the risk of A plus the risk of B. So the the total risk of, of A and B is actually risk of A plus risk of B plus the correlation of A and B. Mm. So correlation can increase or decrease the total risk. And it's one of the very rare kind of occasions where one plus one doesn't equal to two. So this is a very important finding uh, in the theory. And it lets, it lets us um, choose low or negative correlated assets uh, to manipulate the amount of risk taken. So if we consider five different asset classes, stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities, and cash, different combinations of these assets will form a different correlation value, which is um, what you pointed out earlier, Jude, um, mm-hmm. in talking about the um, uh, the food analogy, the the right ingredients and and the right way of combining them effectively will yep. give you um, a better overall portfolio. Mm, got it. So. If we actually consider um, every kind of possible combination of these assets, we can come up with like a universe of different portfolio options and each portfolio option is going to have a different risk and return characteristic. And you can actually plot this um, on a graph with risk on the x-axis and y on and returns on the y-axis um, to create uh, a bit of a scatter graph. 
And if you actually draw a curve on the outside of this graph, you'll get what's called a minimum variance frontier. So this looks like a large C. And I know this is kind of hard to explain on a podcast, uh, <laughs> but for listeners that you know want to try and find out more, just Google MPT um, and the minimum variance frontier, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so I think it'll help give a, a visual clarification. But essentially, the best portfolios are going to be lying on the top part of the C curve because these are the ones that are going to be providing the highest return for the given amount of risk. Cool. And these are known as efficient portfolios. Um, and, the th and theoretically, they're supposed to be the most optimal portfolios for investors. Got it. Got it. So what that essentially means is that you have to combine the right amount of aggressive and defensive assets to manage your return expectations and the risk tolerance, right? Mm, exactly. Um, there are problems with this, of course. It's it's not a perfect uh, kind of theory. So three kind of um, things to consider is that um, the theory assumes that market returns uh, congregate around the average expected returns a lot more than they actually do. So mm -hmm. this doesn't actually happen in reality. Good times and bad times actually happen uh, more frequently than what NPT predicts. Mm. Another one is that it assumes returns are independent um, from year to year. So the returns from one year don't affect the returns of another year, which is not the case. And another important one is that it assumes all investors are rational investors and don't base their decisions on emotions. Uh, and I think um, in reality, this is definitely not the case. Um, a lot of investors make decisions based on emotions of fear and greed, even though we try to be as um, rational as possible. Um, it's very hard uh, sometimes not to act on emotions when the market is, is crashing um, or, or when the um, market is just exuberant and, and you've got that kind of fear of missing out happening as well. Mm. So Absolutely. in conclusion, um, it's up to the investor to decide whether or not to use MPT. Mm -hmm. The advantage, though, is that the portfolio is going to be quite well diversified with different asset classes and the returns are probably going to be a little bit smoother over the long run. However, there are some um, flaws in the theory and it's not absolutely necessary. So it's up to the investor um, how they construct their portfolio. Ultimately, it comes down to risk and, and um, how, how you see risk. Correct. So I think predominantly, as you rightly pointed out, right, it's these theories are there in terms of the fact that we just have guidelines and the guidelines is yep. for you to then use it in a particular way to, you know, construct your portfolio the way is more customizable for you, uh, which yep. looks at your needs and exactly. more importantly, uh, looks at the risk, your, you know, the risk appetite you have to take up. Uh, any of these particular different asset classes. So mm. uh, really interesting. That is a thanks for that history lesson. Uh, it's always good to <laughs> good to get you know some of these origin stories, right? Because yeah. it makes sense for us to then use these as guidelines to move forward. So yeah, thanks, absolutely. thanks for that, Sam. So let's let's use some let's use some of that theory, right? Let's just come up with some of a hypothetical scenario, and mm. uh, let's try and combine something which makes sense to different investor profiles, yeah? Mm. So 
um i think you you've given a good origin story now let's take it forward with another story where we just talk about you know sam's investment journey okay and sure. it's not not you sam it's just hypothetical sam and um, just let's start by saying that you know what hey sam starts his journey between the age of 28 and 30 right um, a time when you you know mostly have a stable job you have some steady income flow uh you've saved up you know predominantly for a rainy day at least 6 months in terms of expenses and you really have no existing debt right mm-hmm. and uh, say sam with the aim that he wants to go in to have a decent portfolio so that he can enjoy retirement mm-hmm. and so it's important focus here right the aim is retirement so he's going to try to invest in a way that will help him out in retirement so mm-hmm. say that Sam starts off and he says he he will work and he puts a target. He says he works till the age of 65 and he's got time on his side, right? Because he's right now between the age of 28 and 30, he's got a couple of years definitely. So he has time to ride out the different market cycles. Cuz you know, right, that there will be ups and downs in the market. We've seen one, you know, during COVID and immediately we've seen the rebound as well, right? But yeah. just imagine this same cycle over a longer period of time. So the longer time you have the better it is so his portfolio strategy and i think the best which would be you know focused at this particular point of time would be uh concentrate on the aggressive assets mm-hmm. as opposed to the defensive assets and that's because obviously there is more risk and exposure to it but because he's got time on his side he can ride out that cycle mm. so ideally a good uh, split for say sam would be like a 70 to 75% in aggressive uh, assets and around 30 to 25 in that proportion in the defensive assets right yep so when you look at aggressive assets they could be you know the australian share market it could be the global markets it could be you know global markets can be split into two components it could be the developed market versus the emerging markets mm-hmm. it could be maybe a combination of certain thematic Uh, options out there like particular industry sectors or um uh, you know any particular uh, uh, you know any particular area which you say go for you're going forward right in ethical investing and all that stuff right so there are different avenues but uh, that could be part of your uh, aggressive portfolio correct yeah uh, yep. then talking about uh, say the 20 to 25% split right which could be more defensive assets like um, say bonds quality bonds uh any fixed interest um, uh, assets as well as something as gold right so that could be mm. a good example about where that remaining 20 to 25% could go in mm. now yep. say that you know sam follows this plan he does really well over the period of years and he's quite uh, disciplined because i think you need some levels of discipline to really be constantly invested and mm-hmm. also he has the right expectations right because you know you're in it for the long term you you're really not looking at it by you know getting immediate returns the whole portfolio is to try to make sure that your aim is retirement and you're willing to invest for that particular period of time till retirement right so mm-hmm. say sam does a great job and he's he's on his on on track to you know realize his goals but you know as and when he approaches retirement and say you know we are almost reaching a, a pre retirement time of around say when you're around 50 years maybe when he reaches around 50 years mm-hmm. and he's reaching a phase where he has to manage the risk a little bit more so now yep. that 75 25 or the 70 30 split 
could then be rebalanced to a split of to a more conservative split right which could be 50% aggressive and 50% defensive now that's because you want to try and you know safeguard your capital as much as you can as well right as you approach retirement mm. and uh, that's another strategy so you've started off with an aggressive strategy strategy and now move to a most balanced strategy because that's a 50-50 split and say yep. he follows this plan again for the next couple of years till his retirement age of 65 now once he hits retirement age of 65 he would ideally would like to you know be conservative in a way because now the, the income's really not going to come in from his work or you know any other uh, income stream right so mm-hmm. he has to make sure that he again protects his capital and you could go about it in two different ways if sam says you know what after 65 i really don't want to take a risk and i want to be ultra conservative i can go with a 90 10 approach on defensive assets and a 20 to 20, uh, 10 to 20% on the aggressive assets right like but that yeah. would be ultra conservative because if you look at it and sam is a little bit more you know optimistic about things to come in the future he would say you know hey okay i've got 20 to 25 years more if you know health permitting and i'm all i'm hail and hearty right mm. so i can ride out a few more market cycles and so i could go in with a split which says you know okay 65 to 70% as defensive assets mm. versus a 30 to 35% of you know uh, an aggressive assets which would not be a bad option as well right because you're still trying to gain something out from your aggressive assets but yeah. in the end whatever happens to sam it's it's up to him in terms of deciding what's the best for him uh what he expects out of this portfolio and how much of that risk appetite he has uh throughout this investment cycle right right from the way he starts off uh in sometime in between just you know prior to retirement and then in retirement so mm-hmm. that's that's predominantly what it's up to the individual and in this case up to sam but another interesting and crucial element here is um the the impact of rebalancing your portfolios now when we went through that example of how sam can really uh, go through these different stages of his investment journey uh, there were certain percentages which we spoke about right mm-hmm. now those percentages will not be constant because you know every asset class is different in different cycles right yeah. so say for example during a bull run um aggressive assets usually do better than de- de- uh, defensive assets right and mm. the vice versa is when we see in bear markets where you know the defensive assets do a little bit better than the the aggressive assets yeah so it's always good to uh, to have a look at how these percentages start skewing um from time to time so ideally between the 6 months to a 2 two year cycle it's good to just constantly see how much your um asset allocations uh, and its percentages are as opposed to what you had defined it earlier right mm. and yeah. if you notice a deviation of around like say 15 to 25% from an asset percentage what you've allocated uh, it would be good to you know reconsider so that you don't you don't expose yourself to uh, a risk of one particular asset class you want to bring it back to some levels of what you've defined it in terms of when you started off with the portfolio yeah so rebalancing mm-hmm. is an important important element for uh, portfolio portfolio management awesome awesome so it looks like hypothetical sam has got it all figured out <laughs> <laughs> 
But I think um, not everyone's going to have the time to constantly look at uh, their portfolio percentages and um, do that rebalancing. Um, so I want to just bring uh, listeners, um, just make them aware of kind of like a lazy approach, so to say. Um, so I want to um, just make people aware that there are pre-made ETFs uh, from BetaShares and Vanguard. So uh, what these are is they're one-stop shops uh, for investing. Um, so the idea is that you can invest in a complete portfolio um, by buying a single ETF depending on your risk appetite. So. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about rebalancing. You don't have to worry about buying anything other than this particular ETF. So the way you select the appropriate option is very similar to how someone selects the investing option in your superannuation. Um, mm -hmm. So having a look at Vanguard first, they have four complete portfolio ETFs. So there's the Vanguard Diversified Conservative ETF, uh, the Diversified Balance, the Diversified Growth, and the Diversified High Growth. Mm -hmm. So some of the advantages um, to this approach is that it provides instant diversification um, and exposure to over 10,000 securities uh, in just one ETF. So quite powerful. Um, it's There's auto rebalancing. Mm -hmm. So um, investors don't have to worry about, um, you know, adjusting their percentages at all. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a DRP option. And Vanguard um, has something, um, well, the ETFs actively manage using what they call the Vanguard Capital Markets Model, so VC. MM. So what this is, it's a um, it's a powerful financial simulator that essentially follows MPT, um, the theory that we talked about before, on picking the most optimized portfolio and return. So there's that uh, kind of feature built into these um, ETFs as well. Okay, got it, got it. So. Beta shares have a very similar kind of offering as well. Um, I think they're essentially the same kind of um, um, risk description. So they've got the conservative, the balance, um, the the high growth. Uh, so the conservative's got 25% growth, 75% defensive. Balanced has 50% growth, 50% defensive. Uh, diversified growth, 70% growth, 30% defensive. And high growth, 90% growth and 10% uh, defensive. So I think if people want to kind of look at these further, they can uh, just do a Google search on Vanguard or BetaShares on their diversified ETF option, um, mm -hmm. and they can find out more details. But just to highlight um, one kind of negative aspect, and this was pointed out by the Aussie Firebug, um, is the highish um, management fees associated with these um, particular options. Now, we're not talking about um, absorbent uh, management fees, but they're in the order of about um, 26 to 27 basis points. Now, you can kind of compare this to other index funds, uh, the more traditional index funds, um, the passive ones that follow and track an index. They're probably about 10 basis points or less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you could make the argument that, you know, that these ones are going to be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. um, 
and over the long term, I guess it, it does make a little bit of a difference. But for people that, you know, just don't have the time to do the research, uh, don't have the time to do the rebalancing, uh, they just want a set and forget approach. And if this is a way to make people invest rather than not invest, mm-hmm. then I think the management fees well justified in my opinion and and um you know i think um over the long term even um you know someone very fresh into investing um can actually do quite well for themselves if they actually uh consider this option so i think it's very much um an approach for people that that are time poor Mm -hmm. however if you are you know, quite keen on investing, you know, you like doing the research, you like looking under the hood um, of the different ETFs and, you know, what their holdings are, what the management fees are, et cetera, et cetera, then Mm -hmm. you could, you know, go outside of this and kind of construct your own portfolio with your own percentages and kind of manage it yourself that way. Yep. No, I think that's that's a really good approach, right? For people who are really um, hard pressed for time, um, mm. as you said, there there has to be that you know that interest as well in terms of doing your research and you know uh, spending some amount of time, right? Because it's your hard earned money, and when yeah, you're investing absolutely. in certain elements like this, you need to do considerable amount of research. And but this is a good option for someone who you know doesn't have that much amount of time, but still takes a little bit of time to understand the PDS of, of these particular. Uh, offerings because you still need to know and understand what you're putting your money in but Mm. you don't spend that much amount of time as opposed to you know maybe individual stocks or you know individual elements like if in case as you spoke about the indexing approach correct Mm. um Mm. it's rather than putting it into this one for all etf this is then you know trying to construct a portfolio using index products which are out there right just passive style of investing and you only invested in, in say, an index fund or an indexed ETF, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, since you mentioned about, you know, the Aussie firebug, another suggestion that is popular in the fire community is to take a very simple approach. Uh, just take two ETFs. One is you take the Australian-focused uh, ETF, and now we're just talking about one fund provider, which is Vanguard, and their options, where, mm-hmm. you know, VAS can focus on, say, the Australian uh, market, and VGS, which would be more or less the global market, right? And you could yeah. have a percentage split of, say, 40 in, in VAS and 60 in VGS. However, like, you know, this, this the one thing about this uh, portfolio you need to understand is, one, is it gives you good diversification in nearly all the countries around the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are no other asset classes in this portfolio. So the risk is higher because uh, the fact is you're focused on just one particular asset class mm-hmm. uh, and should only be considered if you have a long time frame to invest. You can ride out those market cycles we spoke about, right? Yeah. Um, the benefit, though, is that because you have time on your side, the equities generally do well over the period, uh, time period, right? And mm-hmm. it will allow for compo- a compounding to happen. Um, You could have a slight variation to it if you think, you know, hey, this is just a bit too much uh, focus on, you know, maybe one asset class and I want to balance it out with certain certain defensive assets. Um, You can just make a small, you know, a modification to this. You could you can have, like I said, 25 percent now in VAS, which would be the Australian share market. Then you Mm -hmm. can have VGS, which would be the global markets around Mm -hmm. 45 percent. So that gives you a total of around 70 percent in global and uh, and uh, you know Australian equities, 
and yep. then you could have uh, you know what vanguard has in terms of their defensive options which is you know in terms of bond index funds they've got um, a vgb which is um, their bond etf or a vaf which is a fixed asset uh, sorry fixed interest um, etf around mm. 30% of that so that way you've got your 70 30 split in terms mm-hmm. of your you know uh, aggressive and defensive assets if you have got some time so that's a good yeah. variation to the indexing approach which was suggested yeah. by the fire community mm. good one good one and um i think another um aspect to all of this as well is perhaps the consideration of active ETFs and uh whether or not they can also fit into a investor's portfolio mm-hmm. so they they're quite an interesting um asset class so an active ETF um essentially is a managed fund that's traded on the ASX Mm-hmm. so it's a portfolio of companies that are being carefully selected by a fund manager um and is actively uh, managed by that particular fund manager so the idea is that they can pick a handful of stocks uh and hopefully they can beat the market after fees so a lot of people when they think about ETFs they're thinking about you know the passive ETF that tracks an index like the ASX 200 or the S&P 500 mm-hmm. but an active ETF they will um look at companies that are perhaps outside the top 200 or 300 companies mm-hmm. um and they're chosen based on the fund manager's investing ideology so this could be something like okay I want to look at you know very undervalued stocks or I want to take a momentum approach or I want to look at stocks that have a very large moat um these are the kind of um strategies that a fund manager can can utilize when when they construct their own active uh ETF so the benefits of this is that it provides access to global and emerging markets that can perhaps be um a little bit more difficult for investors to to access in Australia um and this in turn kind of provides a little bit more diversification also it's kind of leveraging off the expertise of that fund manager to pick stocks that can potentially outperform the market um and the fund managers and the companies that they work for they generally have access to a lot of information that the public does not Mm-hmm. or the public just gets a lot later so you know um these particular companies they might have like a bloomberg subscription uh which is like a, a paid subscription service and they'll have much more up to date and live information on the markets and this gives them an advantage um and an edge when they're picking their particular um investments for that active etf got it also got it. the 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 fact that it's um an ETF means that it's listed on the ASX and it's much easier to access the fund and also exit the fund. So unlike an unlisted um managed fund there's no minimum deposit uh and the fund basically just sits alongside your other shares in your brokerage account. Um and it also makes submitting tax returns a lot easier as well because it's an ETF. So there are different providers of of active ETF um Vanguard and BitShares again um are two that offer active ETFs but then there's also companies like Fidelity as well that have an active ETF offering fantastic fantastic so i think we've we've covered quite a bit on this topic today i think we hopefully through whatever we've discussed we've given 
a complete idea as to what goes on in terms of a portfolio creation right at least heading and pointing towards that right direction so if i have to summarize today's episode we spoke about the essence of portfolio construction um we went down uh, you know some historical origins of the modern portfolio theory um then we went through you know a hypothetical investing timeline of a hypothetical investor sam uh <laughs> and then we rounded it off with some commonly used approaches for portfolio construction yep yep thanks everyone uh and that's all we have time for today thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed the show please check out our website oz-investing.com spelled oz-investing and consider joining our email list also check us out on social media there are links to our social pages on our website if you would like to contact us please do so please send us an email on ozinvesting2020 at gmail.com or through the contact section on our website with all that said and done i hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you in the next episode see you later